9. Uh, Mark 9 is where we're at. We'll get started here this evening. I think I got everything. Ricky's punching buttons remotely, so we're good. I will remind Saturday is the men's meeting, and then Sunday's church. So that's the announcements. Okay. Uh, Mark 9, if you will, verse number 1. And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that there be some of them that stand here which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God with come with power. Um, this is a statement here uh, of an event here that's, gonna, that's called the uh, Transfiguration, the Mount of the Transfiguration. And it's an interesting thing. Uh, we're going to look at it this evening and then next week catch some of the details and so forth. Uh, we weren't here last week, uh, but we'll, we should be good to go for till the mid of July anyway. But uh, really, 9-1 is the conclusion, uh, uh, the concluding statement uh, coming out of chapter 8. Uh, if you look at 8:38, wherefore, uh, I'm sorry, whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. Of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you that there be some of them that stand here which shall not taste of the death till they shall have seen the kingdom of God come with power. And after six days, Jesus taketh with him Peter, James, and John, and so forth. So the statement of verse 1 really kind of concludes in the statement out of uh, 838. The word and is a continuation of that statement. There's going to be some here that are going to be ashamed of me and my words, and they're going to fall off. And then there's going to be some of you that aren't going to see death until you've seen the kingdom. Now, the, what, I, what I need you to do is get Matthew 17 and get Luke 9, where this event happens as well. And you might as well stick something in Luke 9 and in Matthew uh, 17. Because what we see here, again, between the three Gospels, this event's not in John, but between the three here, we see a, a, an interest, a, a different thing here, if you will. Matthew 17, actually if you read Matthew 16, verse 28, he says, Verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And after six days, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John. So the chapter break is in a different place in Matthew than it is in Mark. Now come over to Luke 9. And what usually happens is everybody pitches a fit about the chapter break being in the wrong place. Well, look at Luke 9 and Luke 9 verse 27. But I tell you of a truth, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the kingdom of God. And it came to pass at about eight days. So Luke's got the event in the middle of the chapter. And what that really tells you is the chapter -ish breaks don't matter because it's really going to be about the how, 
how each Matthew, Mark, and Luke are, are dealing with the significance of the transfiguration. And where Matthew is going to, he separates the transfiguration here in, in Matthew uh, 17, the event of the transfiguration, he separates that away from, in verse 28 there, some standing here won't see death and so forth where Mark takes the statement in 9-1 and attaches it to the event of the transfiguration. And the, again, that it's a matter of the portrait that the Gospels are presenting. And the issue here, by the way, Matthew 17, Luke 9, keep them together. Mark 9 separates them out. And that it's, it's, it's a very interesting uh, thing here as we kind of begin to look at this event because of what the Lord is doing. Here's the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, that portrait issue. I, you know, every time we've studied a book under the Gospels, it's very significant. Here's the Lord. He's the same person. He, it's the same event. It's just being described from a different perspective. Matthew, here's the king. Mark, here's the servant. Luke, here's the man. And John, really, here's God. And when, you, when John comes in, again, it's a different perspective. So Matthew 16, 28, here's the perspective of Matthew. Verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And, and again, notice he's the Son of Man. There's a title there. Daniel 7 uh, tells us that that title, Son of Man, is a, is a term, a title of the Messiah coming with his kingdom. And well, what's hap what's, what, what is going to happen here? Matthew, here's the king in his glory, verse 7, 17, 1. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them apart into, into a high mountain apart, and they are going to see, the, see his glory. So here, Matthew, here's the king in his glory, in his kingdom, and the, the portrait is to show the Lord in his kingdom, but also in his kingdom glory. Here's the king. Now, when you come over to Luke 9, in verse 27, he says, But I tell you of a truth, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the kingdom of God. So the focus here is going to be on who he is. If you look at verse 26, For whosoever shall be ashamed of me, and of my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. Notice Luke is looking at the glory of the Son of Man. Here he is. Not only is he coming in the glory of his Father and of the angels, but also his own glory. And as Luke paints that portrait of the Lord's humanity, by the way, verse 30 and behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias, Elijah. Luke is the only one that says two men. 
Matthew and Mark don't say that. Verse 28, and it came to pass about an eight day, eight days after. Mark, Matthew and Luke, or, I'm sorry, Matthew and Mark say after six days. Luke says about an eight days. So, well, anything after six would be about eight, and anything less than eight, you know. So we're looking at day seven, okay? If you got to pinch pennies, but the thing is, is you begin to just see these little different things here. So when you come to Mark 9, you don't see any of what Matthew and Luke said. Notice Mark 9, 1. And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that there be some of them that stand here which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. Notice Mark, he's talking about the servant. There's nothing in there about the glory and this and the kingdom glory. There's just, uh, hey, he's coming but it's coming with what? Power. So the servant is interested in the power aspect. That issue about power is can he get the work done? Does he have the power? Does he have the ability? Does he have the stamina to get the work done? That's what he's talking about. Might, there's the right. Power, there's the ability to, to perform. That, so when he says, hey, he's coming with, the, seeing the kingdom of God come with power, he's talking about that kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the Son of Man. It's all the same kingdom. It's just different perspective. Matthew, here's the king, the Son of Man and his glory. Here's Luke, here's the Son of Man and the, his glory as the Son of Man. But yet Mark says, does he have, can he get the job done? Does he have the ability to? So there's a, there's, a, there's a push there. Now, verse 1 says, uh, Mark 9, verse 1. Hold on to Matthew and Luke because we're going to bounce around through these passages. Ma Mark 9, verse 1. And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that there be some of them that stand here which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power the issue of not tasting death now this is a big issue and it, this is a big issue because of the issue of non-dispensational teaching some will use this passage to say and talk about that the issue of not tasting death until they've seen the kingdom that that's the acts 2 and the coming of the holy spirit the preterists say nope that's ad 70 and all of that, and there's the kingdom. Well, that's how it's because of a non-dispensational, a, non, a scriptural but not dispensational viewpoint gets you to that. And that's not what he's talking about. So they'll say power, come with power. There's Pentecost, the power of the Holy Ghost. Here's the kingdom, the preterist view, the 70 AD idea. Then you have some that even pull up and say, well, it's really the gospel era. And that's what we're in right now and all this stuff. And, and really, it has nothing to do with any of it. Uh, and actually, it, we'll go over to 2 Peter here in just a second, and we'll get the answer. Notice verse 2. And after six days, Jesus take with him Peter and James and John, and leadeth them up into a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. He's going to take them 
and, and then now we're going to have the event of the transfiguration. And they go up on the mountain. And again, it's Peter, James, and John, the big three. Uh, I think it was uh, J. Vernon McGee. He said, the Lord always had to deal with Peter, James, and John special because they were a little thick-headed. And then they were a little slow on the uptake. Well, that's not the case. The, the, these three men are the, three, the only three that were surnamed. Peter, both Cephas, both, here he is, Cephas, he's the rock. And then James and John, the sons of thunder. Okay, Berangeli, there they are. So he's, he's going to be transfigured. They're going to see the glory. They're, they're seeing the kingdom of God come with power. They're seeing his glory. They're seeing the Father's glory. They're seeing the, the whole of the events. So really in this event, we have three things kind of going on, okay? Um, one, he's going to pull them aside, and then he's going to move. Uh, one, he's transfigured in his appearance. Two, there's a, a, me a meeting with Moses and Elijah. And then three, there's a voice from the Father. So we've got some things, and, and in Mark, we're going to go bam, 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 where Matthew and Luke, a lot of detail get filled in as we go. Come over to 2 Peter chapter 1. Now, what is fantastic about Scripture, and when you look at these things, is that Peter is going to explain what they saw. And again, he, he's 2 Peter 1. Peter says, we were an eyewitness of that. So when you look at, and, and again, why this is important is when you don't study the word rightly divided, dispensationally, then you can sit there and make it say a whole bunch of different things. But when you come to it and you study it, you begin to go, well, wait a minute. Peter makes a statement here, verse 15. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. It always fascinates me how he says that. He knows he's going to die. He knows that the dispensational change and the visiting of the Gentiles is ongoing. It and he says, you need to remember this. For we have not followed cunning devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now, there's Matthew 17, Mark 9, Luke 9. What are they? They are eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory... Now watch, when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my, well, my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. By the way, we were eyewitnesses of his glory, and then we have the excellent glory. That's going to come, and, and when we get over back in the Gospels, from the cloud, the voice speaks. And that cloud, some will call it the Shekinah glory. But it's really more than that. It's the, the, the Father has glory. By the way, the cloud's been with Israel since the Exodus. 
and his glory is in a place. So it's, it's, a, it's where his glory abode. It, abide, it, lives, it dwells in that cloud. And Peter says, we saw the manifestation of the excellency of his glory. And that's exactly what the Lord is talking about in Matthew, Mark, and Luke here in this event, in the transfiguration. Come back with me to Mark 8 or Mark 9 where we were. In the transfiguration, we ha- you, he is literally giving them a foretaste of the kingdom glory. Okay, that's what he's doing. So let's pray and go home because that's what it is. Peter says, we were eyewitnesses of this. So then the question is, is why would he do this? Why why does he give them a foretaste of the kingdom glory? Well, chapter 8, what did he just do to them? 8.29, And he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Peter answered and said unto him, Thou art the Christ. You're the big guy. You're the Messiah. You're Jehovah. You're the one. And he charged them that they should tell no man of him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. What did he just begin to teach them about? His suffering, the suffering that he's going to have to go. He's going to the cross. And what does Peter do? Peter objects, rebukes him. The Lord turns and rebukes Peter. And then he takes Peter. Could you imagine being Peter going, you just called me Satan, and now you're pulling me up the hill up here. (laughs) You know, it's so, I I guess that's why I needed to be a few days later and not right there in the moment. But but again, what is the Lord doing? Hey, if you're going to follow me, going to follow me in my rejection you got to let go of everything you got to pick up the cross you got to go verse 38 whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him also shall the son of man be ashamed when he cometh in uh, in the glory of his father with his holy angels there's all of this issue here of suffering so in light of the suffering and the the going to the cross and the rejection that's coming and everything, he begins to, he's doing something here to give them some comfort, to give them some, to give them a foretaste of the future. Literally, he's, he's, he's trying to establish in their understanding that yes, we're gonna be suffering, yes, there's rejection, yes, we've got this, but that hope is going to come, and the kingdom glory is coming. So here's a foretaste. Here's a, here, here, just look at what's happening here. He only gives it to Peter, James, and John because they are the leaders of the little flock. They are literally the leaders of the group where his glory is going to shine out through that little flock. He gives them a foretaste, a picture of the coming glory to comfort them, to comfort their faith, to strengthen their faith, to strengthen their hope, because in the end, it's just glory. That's the deal. 
But before the glory comes what? The sufferings. Now go back there to 2 Peter, but go back to 2 Peter 1, where we were just a minute ago. So the, he's telling them, I'm going to the cross, I'm going to the cross, I'm going to the cross. And then, you know, they're a little rebuking and a little, hey, we can do this. And he's like, well, you got to do this. You're going to have to die. You're going to have to... You're going to have to join me in the rejection, and wait a minute, oh, you know, and then he pulls up the three, and he shows them the kingdom, the glory. Second Peter 1, look at verse 2, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. That's how Peter starts 2 Peter. With what? Glory and virtue. Our calling is to what? It's to glory. That's where we're headed, is glory. By the way, virtue. Didn't uh, the Lord's garment the lady touched and virtue left? He, his righteousness, who he is the strength and the power. It, it, Peter says, look, guys, we've been called to the glory of the kingdom. We have the strength of the Lord to get us there, to get us through the tribulation, to get us through the rejection, to get us through the suffering. We can get there. Okay? Now, if you drop down to verse 19, he says, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto ye do well, that ye take heed, as unto the, a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Notice we have a more sure word of prophecy. So not only are they going to have the comfort of the actually seeing it, but they have a comfort in what prophecy tells them. And, and, and the word of prophecy, to be more specifically, come back to... 1 Peter chapter 1. So Peter here, this event in the Gospels, the Mount Transfiguration, this event is a, is a key point. He's telling them about the sufferings that he's got to go and the rejection and the sufferings that they have to go through. And then he gives them a, a glimpse into the glory because he's going to yank them back to reality here in a few verses. And guess what's going to, it's not going to, it's, you know, it's not a, it's not rosy, okay? It's pretty straightforward. Verse 9, 1 Peter 1, verse 9. Recei receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. That's why Mark, back there, he talks about a guy losing his soul and doing this and that. Why? Because this is what they are. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and search diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. The grace here, that, that's a prophesied grace. That, that issue of the grace there, it has to do with this issue of the kingdom. See, they were looking for their salvation to go into the kingdom. They weren't looking at it as a present possession. We look at it that way. They don't. They're looking at a future event over there going into the kingdom. So what happened? Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify. Now watch, when it testified beforehand 
the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Two things there. Mark 8, two things, suffering and then what? Glory. So in Mark 8, what does he do? It's time to suffer. And then in Mark 9, here, but here's the glory. They're connected. They get put together. It's the cross before the crown. That's the same. It's the tree before the throne. That's the other one that you hear. That, so Peter, I mean, again, he just reacted, ain't so, Lord. Boom, you know. And the Lord just ca called him Satan and rebuked him. And now he's being pulled up and he's seeing what's happening. Why? Because we have a connection. Suffering and then glory. Verse 12. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us that did minister the things which are now reported unto... Oh, excuse me. Ugh. What's that? Yeah, well, I was yawning, so my eyeballs were shut. <laughs> yeah. Melanie just yawned, and so it triggered. Yeah. Um, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven which things the angels desire to look into. Wherefore, now watch, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Again, that's not the grace message. That's not the dispensation of grace. It's the grace that's coming when? At the second coming, kingdom. That's what he's talking about. They are able to endure the suffering because Christ is able to come back and to bring the kingdom in. And that's the whole issue, go back to Mark 9, that's transpiring here in Mark is that there's this ish, there's this connection between the suffering again 831 he began to teach this is new but then that glory so the issue of the suffering is a part of their message but also is the glory so we have this foretaste so why does he do it well the Lord is being compassionate here. He, he's just telling him he's going to go die and all this suffering and the rejection and everything. You know, rebuke Peter. You know, they're down in the mouth. And he says, all right, guys, come on, let me show you. He's being compassionate. He didn't have to show them, but then he does. So, again, they are sitting here, verse 2, Mark 9, verse 2, and after six days, Jesus takes with him Peter and James and John and leadeth them up into a high mountain apart by themselves and he was transfigured before them they go up they he's taking Peter James and John these are again they are the leaders of the little flock they are the heart of the 12 uh, they they're they're very they're very important now, the interesting thing about these guys, look over at chapter 14 of Mark. Mark 14. We're moving into the Garden of Gethsemane, okay? Verse 32. 
Mark 14:32, and they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he saith to his disciples, Sit ye here while I shall pray. And he taketh with him Peter and James and John, and began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy. And said unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. So what's he do? He has his disciples. He says, You guys sit here, pray. I'll be right back. I'm going to go over here and pray. And when he leaves them, he takes Peter, James, and John with him. Now they're going to pray. But something happens. They fall asleep. Verse, verse 37. And he cometh and findeth them sleeping, and saith unto Peter, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldst not thou watch one hour? Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into the temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. So, now, so what happened? They got heavy. It's late. It's midnight, 1 o'clock in the morning. It's time, you know, boom, I'm ready for bed right now. It's time to go to sleep. Now, that's interesting. Would you stop? Come over and look at Luke 9. Luke 9. It's been a long day. Okay, look at Luke 9. Look at what happens at the transfiguration. So what does he do? He takes with him Peter, James, and John, right? Luke 9, look at verse 28. And it, was, and it came to pass about an eight days after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered, his raiment was white and glistening, and beheld there were talking with him two men, which were Moses and Elias, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with what? So could you imagine, one, going to sleep in the garden, we're going to Calvary, but you're sitting here watching something happen and you fall asleep. <laughs> you just, boom, they're heavy with sleep, verse 32. And when they were awake, they saw his glory and the two men that stood with him. And it came to pass as they departed from him, Peter said unto Jesus, and then we have Peter just run off with them out. Okay? But the thing is, is he takes them into Gethsemane to show them the reality of his suffering. He then takes them into the Mount of Transfiguration to show them the reality of his glory that's going to follow the suffering. See what's happening? And yet Peter, James, and John, what are they doing? They're snoozing <laughs> in both situations. Now, again, they represent the little flock, and he's teaching them about what? The suffering and the glory. So that they're able to endure to the end. So they can wait. They can suffer. They can endure. Uh, the idea there, Hebrews 12, where he says, he endured the cross, despising the shame. Oh, I just had it. Oh. Looking uh, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God, the on the throne, of, on the right hand of the throne of God. So that's the issue. Now go back to Mark nine. When he says, and he was transfigured before them, the 
Greek word for that that's used for the trans that word transfigured is really just written right over into English and it's metamorphosis. Okay? So transfigured. That word is only used a couple places in the New Testament. One's Romans 12 and the other one's 2 Corinthians 3. Romans 12, and it's ironic we're going to be talking about this word uh, Sunday. Romans 12, verse number 2, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Transformed by the renewing of your mind. So you're going to have the outward conduct transformed by an inner change. That's what you're having. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 is the other place that it's used this way. 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 18. But we all, with open face, behold, as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory even. See that issue about being changed? That's the issue of being transfigured, transformed. A, so when you come back to Mark 9, or, and really Matthew and Luke, there's a metamorphosis here. He's making a visible demonstration of the glory that is really specific to the little flock. Here's the glory that they're going to receive. That's what's happening here. Because Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they each describe his changing differently. It's not the same. In Mark 9, verse 3, it says, And his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. Literally, Mark, describing the change here, he says, there's no laundry mat, there's no laundry, a fuller, a launderer, who can get that whiter than that. Now, that's what a servant's worried about. We've been watching Downton Abbey, and you have to have the, you have to be, everything's got to be right. We don't wear tails, we wear this, we don't wear that, we wear, and, and you have to have that white. Sunday, I was sitting there. We were eating after we got home, and I got stuff on my shirt, which is normally the case. So me and Shout are close. Why? Because it's stained, you know. So I'm Shout, scrub it out, you know. But shout it out. That's what you do. So that's the issue here. See, his raiment was shining, exceeding white as snow. There's no that that's. No launderer could get it any wider than what they saw. But that's what the servants worried about. The servants worried about everything being right. Come over to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew 17. Watch it here. Matthew 17, 2. And was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the what? The sun and his raiment was white as the light. Now think about as the sun. Where does the light come from the sun? 
Well, it's not the moon in reflective light, like the lights bounce off my face and stuff. It's rather an internal light. And it's an internal thing. It isn't, like, like I said, the, sun the light bouncing off the moon and so forth. It's rather comes from inside. So there's that. Mark doesn't say anything about that. Mark just says, he's as white as snow and no fuller can clean that up. So you've got this, and again, the face, you go back to Malachi 4, you go back to Revelation 1, and he shines, and it says the, the sun rising of righteousness rises, and there's healing in his wings, and all that issue about the glory. And again, it's the light coming from within. And that's the, the diff. But again, what is Matthew? Here's the king, and here, here he is. He's that way because of who he is. Come over to Luke 9. Luke, this one in Luke is just, it's, when you notice it, it's like, wow, look at that. Look at Luke 9. Matthew, here's the sun shining forth. Boom. Mark, here's the servant. Everything's white. Every, I took my shirts one time to the laundry to get to the laundromat, to the cleaners. And I said, I want starch. Starch them. And she's like, medium, little, medium, or a lot? I said, a lot. One of them suckers stood up on their <laughs> And I'm like, okay, maybe not a lot. Maybe medium. Medium was still a, a, just a little bit. Why? Because everybody, well, that's what Mark's looking at. Now look at Luke, Luke 9, Luke 9, 29. As he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered, and his raiment was white and glistering isn't that interesting glitter that's he the idea is glistering it's glitter now if you've ever been around glitter and we have a lot of it at home it gets everywhere and what happens it sparkles the light hits it and boom his flesh it the the glistering it reflects the light his flesh is pulled back his glory shines forth, and it's reflecting off of everything else. So the transfiguration is literally a manifestation of who is inside of the Son of Man. Who's inside this body of flesh? Well, who is he? He's God. He's deity, incarnate. He, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt, and we beheld his glory, even... That's what is happening here. They've now go back to, to Mark 9. That's what they're seeing. So that's who's coming out. By the way, in our transformation, Romans 12, we're going to find out that it's the same thing for us. When we get into our reasonable services, who we are inside needs to do what? Come out. And that's what he's doing here. So, Mark 9, we have his raiment becomes shining, exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. And there appeared unto them Elias with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Now we're going to see Moses and Elijah. So, again, we've seen he is, he's transfigured in his appearance. We've got three different views. Now we're going to see him have a meeting with Moses and Elijah, and then we'll hear the voice of the Father. But the thing is, is the, 
the issue here in Mark is it's Elijah with Moses, and in Matthew and Luke, it's Moses and Elijah. They're reversed. If you hold on to, and look at Matthew 17, 3, and behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with him. And again, Mark 9, 30, and behold, were, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias. And there's a reason for that. Now, who is Moses in Israel's history? He's the great lawgiver. He's the great deliverer in Israel's history. But then what is Elijah? Well, Elijah is the great prophet. But in Israel's history, he is the great guardian of the law. In 1 Kings 17, 18, and 19, he's the one who goes after King Ahab about the infiltration of Baal worship and the fact that they're not obeying the law. They're not doing the law. He's the one that says, hey, you know, if it's Baal, Baal. If it's God, God. Let's pick it. Halt between two opinions. You can't be that way. But he's also a prophet of judgment. No rain, three and a half years. Now we got rain. And so Elijah, Moses is the lawgiver. But Elijah, look over at Matthew 5. This is very significant in this. And, and again, I don't want to get too bogged down in all the, de the significance here, but you got to see some of them. <laughs> okay, and we'll get some more next week in this. But look at Matthew 5. Look at verse 17. He says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. Okay? Moses and Elijah. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. There he is. There's Moses and Elijah. They're representing the law and the prophets. And they're talking with the Messiah. There's Moses, there's Elijah, and they're talking with the Messiah. Now, come back to Luke 9, because it's only in Luke 9 that you see what they're talking about. Matthew and Mark, you don't see what they're talking about. Luke shows us. Luke 9, verse 30. And beheld, they're talking with him two men. So what does the, what is the, Outward appearance of Moses and Elijah, not Casper the ghost, just two men. Okay, so you got two guys standing there, two legs, two arms, one head, you know, the whole, there it is. Who, they're talking with him, which were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory, now watch, and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. Now that's an odd thing to talk about. What are they talking about? His decease. They're talking about Calvary. He's talk. What are they? They're talking about his suffering. But they're also a part of the glory, because what just showed up there? Who appeared in glory? And what did they do? They talked about his suffering. So they're we're in both camps again here. Okay, we're in. Come back to Zechariah. I wasn't going to do this, but we're going to do it. Zechariah. Zechariah 9. 
You have to, because this is what's transpiring in all of this. Zechariah 9, 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Again, that's Matthew 21, the triumphal entry thing that gets called that. But what is he? Lowly. His first coming, meek and lowly. Chapter 12 of, of, of Zechariah. It's exactly what the prophet said was coming. That's the point here. What is the law of Moses? The law says, hey, we have to have a redeemer. We have to have uh, the shedding of blood for redemption. It's got to happen. The prophets begin to speak about uh, Zechariah 12. Verse 10, and I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. That's where we're going. That's, that's what Mark 8's about. That's what's coming after we get done here with the, the mountain transfiguration. And they shall mourn for him as, as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is bitterness for his firstborn. In that day shall there be a great mourning in Jerusalem. So there's a mourning that's going to happen. 13.1, In that day there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and uncleanliness. There's the suffering. He's got to suffer. That's part of the program. So when we come back to Mark 9, and we see... Moses and Elijah here, they're talking to him about the suffering that he's got to go do in Jerusalem, but they're sitting there in kingdom glory because they are connected. They're literally Moses and Elijah are encouraging the Lord to go through the suffering. That's what they're doing. They're like, hey, you got to do it. You know, look at Zechariah. He said, you got to do it. You got to do it. <laughs> and that's what they're doing. So Mark 9. Mark 9, verse 5. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elijah. You know what? And Peter just steps in it. Peter, James, and John, they wake up. 932. They, they awake, and then he just speak. He just starts talking. And sometimes it's better to be quiet than not talk. Peter doesn't understand that. So what does he say? It is good for us to be here. That's Minnie Pearl. That was her big thing back growing up listening. But it's not good because look at what Peter does. Peter just takes... Moses and Elijah and puts him equal to the Lord. Now, Peter just said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. We know who you are. You're the top dog. But what did he just do? He says, we'll make tabernacles for all three of you. So Peter, he just saw the Lord do something that no human can do. <laughs> Transfigure. And yet, what does he do? He just blah, 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 runneth off with the mouth. Now, the issue of the tabernacle, ta the Feast of Tabernacles, that has to do with the kingdom, dwelling there. And literally what Peter is really saying here is, 
this is great, Lord. You are the Messiah. Moses and Elijah is to come. We know that. We know where we are. We know right here it's timing. We see it. Let, so when he says, it is good for us to be here, and he builds the tabernacles, literally what Peter's doing is, is let's not go through the suffering. Let's just have the kingdom. That's what he's saying, ultimately. It is good to be here. We don't need to go through this. Let's just set the kingdom up right now. We don't need to go through the suffering. We don't need to go through. We're here, Lord. Let's just stay right here. We, we don't have to go back. They won't miss us. See, that's literally what he's doing here. He's just, he knows where they're at. He understands what's got to happen. He's having his faith uh, uh, bolstered up. He's getting some comfort. He's seeing the glory. He just got told about the suffering, and he rebuked and all that, you know, and he's here. And it's just like Peter just says, why in the world do we have to go home? Let's just stay here. Now, we've been there on vacations every now and then. Where Why do I want to go home? Let's just stay right here, you know. And you wish you could. But that's what Peter's doing here. He sees the glory. Let's just stay right here. Verse 6. For he wist not what to say, for they were sore afraid. He should have just been quiet. But he, should, but he didn't. And there was a cloud that overshadowed them. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. Now the, the cloud. And, and again, most writers will t call this the Shekinah glory cloud. And, and really it's more than that. It, that's not really, it, it's more than that. This cloud, again, they, it's been following Israel since the Exodus. This is where the glory of the Father resides the voice out of it the god the father shows up and you know what he says hear him that's what he says now this is my beloved son but he's already said that before he said it in mark one but this time here's the, my beloved son hear him listen to him so when the father spoke speaks here moses and elijah are gone why? Because the one fulfilling everything is the Son, and he's standing there. You, literally what the Father is saying by when he says, hear him, you don't need Moses and Elijah anymore. You've got the fulfillment in your presence. And you need to listen to him. You, you don't listen to you. You don't listen to your own thoughts. You don't listen. To, the issue here is you don't need Moses. You don't need Elijah. You have him, there he is. A, an illustration of that is in John. Look over at John, John 3. In John 3, you've got Nicodemus and the back and forth, and then you've got the disciples of John the Baptist, and you've got them coming and uh, trying to carry on and, and tempt John about this and that. Verse 30, John's statement is, He must increase, but I must decrease and that is literally what the father's saying you don't need those guys you got the main man right there and go back to mark 9 that's where you need to be that's who you jesus alone he's 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 with them he's going to come and do for israel what israel couldn't do for 
themselves. That's why there in verse 2, they high mountain apart by themselves. Here's, here he is. So when the Lord, the Father says, hear him, you don't need all that other, you need him, listen to him. Beloved son. Right? This is my beloved son. Love that. Sinless humanity. There he is. The thing in John 17, the first five or six verses about the, the, relation, the love relationship that they had, the father and the son before, and he says, hey, let's go have that again. That's what we want. That fellowship there, that's where we're at. Okay? That's the whole of it here. Come over to Hebrews 1. Hebrews 1. Hebrews 1.1, God who at sundry times and in divers' manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being in the brightness of his glory. That's where we're at. That's what they just saw. And the express image of his person. What did Peter see? We saw his majesty were eyewitnesses of his majesty and upholding all things by the word of his power there it is he's the one when he had by himself purged our sins sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high and that so when the father says this is my beloved son that's hebrews 1 3 is what he's saying there he is Go back to Mark 9, verse 8. Suddenly, when they had looked round about, they saw no man anymore save Jesus only with themselves. And again, that he's coming to do for Israel what Israel couldn't do for themselves, but he's doing it through, with and through the little flock. So as he begins to talk to them about his suffering, he tells them about the coming glory, and that's the real deal. I got to go suffer, but man, it's glory out there. So verse 9, and as they came down from the mountain, he charged them that they should tell no man what things they had seen till the Son of Man was, were risen from the dead. They've seen the glory. But the suffering has to happen first. They've, they've seen some things. They've got the details. They understand it. They're eyewitnesses. But they can't. Man, Calvary's got to happen first, guys. And then we can go over here and do. But until the Son of Man is risen from the dead, you can't say anything. And they kept that saying with themselves, questioning one another what the rising from the dead should mean. Now, we're going to go back in and get some of the couple more of the details. The hour is up. But that's what's happening here. Why the Mount Transfiguration is to give them a glimpse into the glory, to build up their faith, to comfort them, to give them some stability. Why? Because it's going to get nasty. What are they? They're questioning. What does he mean, risen from the dead? What's that mean? So there's suffering, there's rejection, there's all this turmoil coming. Hey, guys, remember I gave you that little glimpse of glory? That's the real deal. 
That's really what the issue is. That's the real story. And yet they're going to fall to pieces, as they like to say. They're not going to stay the course and so forth. But these three, Peter, James, and again, get the, the, the flow here, the grandness of it. They, you got this pictures, three different portraits of this one event here. And it all comes out and talks about his glory and the fact that his glory will shine one day. And it's going to shine through that little flock. And that's who they are. The little flock, one of their titles is called the Tabernacle of David. The Tabernacle of David. Why? Well, tabernacle, that's where the glory of God resides and dwells with them. And where is it? It's made of... Tabernacles are tents made of flesh. Moses had one, David had... And that has the glory of God in it. And that's where they're at. So we'll pick up here, catch a couple details next time, and then move on, okay? The hope is to... Get on down the road, but we don't. I don't want to run through this and miss because there's so much going on. But yet at the same time, like our study in Romans, I don't want to be bogged down to where we're like eight years later, going, "Oh, we done with verse eight yet?" You know? Okay. All right, dearly Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for your word, and above all, Lord, we thank you for who we are in your Son. And as we study these things here in the Gospels, that we do so and be for our hearts to be enriched and instructed in, in everything that you are and who and everything of who you are. In your name we pray. Amen.